happening in our series um, over the Psalms. So we're looking at a different Psalm every single week. We've been doing that all summer long. Uh, We have two more weeks of this series, um, and I have absolutely loved this series. So the Psalm that we're going to look at this morning might have been one that we should have done week one, um, because it's Psalm chapter one. Uh, But I'm going to go ahead and just claim, you know, better late than never on uh, this situation. Um, So if you have your Bible, we would love for you to open it up. Something that we do here at Real Hope is that we encourage you to highlight, underline in your Bible, uh, write notes. Uh, You're going to see we have all the supplies for you to be able to do that in the basket on your table. Um, And so go ahead and open to Psalm 1. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, that's totally fine. That's why we have them on the table for you. And if you don't own a Bible, that's also why we have the Bibles on the table. We would love for you to take one, take that home with you today, um, and uh, let that be our gift to you. So we're going to be in Psalm uh, chapter 1. And uh, like I said, I've really loved this series um, because I've been in ministry in some capacity uh, for the last 15 years. And I've been in some capacity teaching during those times as well. And typically my experience uh, with teaching various verses or scripture or anything like that has normally been um, after... God has kind of taught me something through that particular passage or scripture, or it'll be a passage or a verse or um, that has impacted my life at some point, and so now I'm teaching over it. This is the first time, um, like I said, in 15 years, that every single message um, that I've had the pleasure of being able to teach during this series has been something that like I literally was walking through it that exact week that I was preparing for this. And so for me, that was a little jarring, actually, um, because it, ma- it made it a little bit more vulnerable um, standing up here uh, on the stage, sharing it with you guys. But when I thought about it, it also should not have been surprising to me because that is the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, the reason that Christians love this book so much is because it is a book that is literally outlines for us how we interact with God and his character, our human nature, our emotion, and the world around us. Like, how do all those three things come together? How do they collide together? How do we handle sorting through this deep array of emotions that we experience as human beings? And how do we do it in a God-honoring way? How do we do it in a way that we're authentic and we're raw and we're real with God? But at the same time, we're also very glorifying to him. And so it shouldn't have been surprising to me that, you know, the Lord would be using these messages of saying, okay, great, you're going to speak over this specific psalm, you're going to deal with this specific emotion. I'm going to give you some real life examples the entire week that you're researching. And this psalm was definitely not, uh, was not an exception um, to that. And so what I love about the psalms is I just love the fact that they're meant to be instructive about how God and people interact with life and the world around them. Um, And and it's such an amazing kind of, uh, I don't know, it's such an amazing roadmap for us and so many array of emotions. And so what I wanted to do is actually just kind of encourage you guys um, by listing a few emotions. This is a very, like, concentrated list. Um, I originally started off with the list that was like 35, but I'm not going to put you through that. So just a few emotions of, that are dealt with in the book of Psalm and what they have to say with them. So here's one, loneliness. Psalm 25:16 says, I am lonely and afflicted. Love, 
I love you, O Lord, my strength, Psalm 18, 1. Discouragement and turmoil, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me, Psalm 42, 5. Fear, serve the Lord with fear. That's an interesting take on fear. Psalm 2, 11. Anger, be angry and do not sin, sin Psalm 4, 4. Peace, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep, Psalm 4, 8. Grief, my eye wastes away, because of grief, Psalm 6, 7. So more explicitly than any other book in the Bible, the book of Psalms is designed to awaken and shape our emotion and do it in line with the instruction of God and his character. And so what happens when you read or when you even sing, because many of the Psalms are sung, are meant to be sung, um, when you do that, Your emotions and your mindset are shaped by these psalms, or they can if we allow the Holy Spirit to do that in our life. And the cool thing about the psalms is that they're not just merely words of man. Um, They're not just a journal uh, that King David, who is the author, primary author, author of the book of Psalms, psalms, they're not just a journal, they're not just words of man, but they are also the word of God. And what that means is that God guided the writing and the arrangements of the Psalms to teach us truth and to give us direction for our emotions and how we feel. So today, like I said, we're going to be in Psalm chapter one. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to read through the entire Psalm um, together. As we're reading through it, uh, there is one particular verse that I'm going to have you highlight and underline a few phrases in that verse. Um, and then we're going to go back and kind of dig into it and, uh, and see what the Lord would want to teach us through this psalm this morning. So let's read together Psalm chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Verse 2, but, and I want you to underline this phrase, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who, then underline this phrase, meditates on his law day and night. Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Okay, that's got real intense real fast, right? But here's kind of the verse that I want us to focus on and think about today. It's verse 2, and it's those two concepts um, that I had you highlight, those two phrases that I had you highlight. And essentially, the entire topic that we're going to kind of focus on is the transformational power of prayer. The transformational power of prayer. So I want to read just real quick, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 again. All right, just so we can have those in our mind and the lens in which we kind of go through the rest of this uh, message this morning. And it's, this is that blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wick- with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So verse two is the central theme of this entire psalm okay it's this it's that the person who delights in god's law so much so that he meditates on it day and night is delivered from the ways of the wicked and sinners and mockers and is made fruitful 
durable, and even prosperous. That's the point. It's that delighting in God's word is the central focus of this blessed person in this psalm. Now, you may be thinking, okay, um, but you said the concept we were going to focus on this morning was going to be prayer, and the word prayer is not even in verse 2. In fact, the word prayer is not even in the entire psalm, and you would be right. Good job paying attention thus far in the message. That is true. Um, But where is this psalm located? It's Psalm chapter, very good, Psalm chapter 1. It's at the beginning of the book of Psalms, right? And we already talked about how the fact that, like, yes, the Psalms are songs. Yes, they're even poems. But ultimately, many of the Psalms are meant to be prayers. They're meant to be prayers. They were David's prayers to God. In fact, the book of Psalm, amongst commentators as well as, you know, biblical scholars and stuff, it is often referred to as the prayer book of the Bible. Okay? The prayer book of the Bible. That's why many Christians go to the Psalms to find the words for the cry of their heart in good times and in bad times. Because it is a book of prayer. So why should we kind of follow that example, right? Like, why should we follow the example of going to the book of Psalms, going to, um, specifically here, this Psalms, chapter 1, delighting in God's word, meditating on day at night. We're talking about the transformational power of prayer. Well, it's this, all right? This is why. It's because prayer and the word of God are connected in such a way that if you disconnect them, both die. All right, listen to this. Prayer and the word of God are connected in such a way that if you disconnect them, both die. Because prayer should be a conversation. Now, some of you might struggle with that. And I know, because I know I have, for sure. You're like, okay, well, I've heard that before. Prayer should be a conversation. But um, nobody talks back to me when I pray. I, I don't hear an audible voice, like when I have a conversation with another human being. Um, in fact, many times when I pray, if I'm being honest, I don't feel like anybody's there. I feel like I'm just talking to myself. Well, here's what David's saying in this when he's talking about meditating on God's word day and night and finding delight in that. He's saying, yes, prayer is a conversation and the primary way in which God speaks to us is through his word. And the primary way in which we speak to God is through prayer. Do you see that relationship now? Do you see how those go together? How you cannot separate studying God's word and the transformational power of prayer. That's how the conversation works, primarily. Here's here's what I'm trying to say, is that the connection between um, God's word and prayer can really be summed up in these two ways. If you're taking notes, here's what you want to write down. It's this first one. It's that the word of God inspires prayer. The word of God inspires prayer. Okay? And then the second one is this, is that the word of God informs prayer. The word of God informs prayer. So the two cannot be separated, all right? So first, the word of God inspires prayer. What that means is that the word commands us to pray, and then it makes promises to us of what God will do if we pray. And then finally, it gives us these amazing examples of powerful men and women of prayer and what happened. 
That is inspirational. Let me give you an example. You don't have to flip there in your Bible. You can follow up on the screen with me, but it's James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. This is is what it says. I'm going to read it to you. It says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. All right, here's a great example of God's word inspiring prayer. Because this passage covers all three of those things I just talked about. All right, we have first, pray for each other that you may be healed. There's a command. Second, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. There's an encouraging promise. And then lastly, third, we have Elijah. He was a human being, just as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain. There's a story to inspire us. Do you see how that works? So God's word, it inspires prayer by telling us what to do, promising us good things if we do it, and then telling us encouraging stories of other people to inspire us in our weakness. And then here's the second thing. The second thing that I had you write down is that the word of God informs. The word of God informs. That means that the word tells us what to pray. And in some instances, it becomes the actual content of our prayer. We actually pray God's word. Pray the scripture. And here's why that's important to do. Because when you know the mind of God... Through his word, that's how we get to know God's character. We get to know the mind of God. Then guess what? Your prayers start to reflect the mind of God. They start to reflect the things that are important to him, not necessarily maybe the things that would be on the forefront of our prayer list. They start to change. And the other reason why praying scripture, praying God's word can be such a powerful and useful tool is because I don't know about you guys, but I have had seasons in my life where I have had such deep-seated emotion, like on both sides of the spectrum, where I literally could not come up with the words of what to say. I've had such moments of deep hurt and pain caused by people that are very close to me, circumstances maybe even in or out of my control, that I didn't know even how to put words to them. So I would pray God's word back to him to express my feelings and my emotions. So that's why God's word informs us. That's why God's word inspires us and informs us. That's why God's word and the transformational power of prayer simply cannot be disconnected. They work together. Here's an example of what I want to show, of of what I'm talking about, of God's word informing our prayer, okay? Read along with me Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. This is one of my favorite scenes in the Bible. It says this, On their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. 
Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Verse 27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what their what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the way that powerful saints pray powerful words. Listen to this. Two things to notice in this based off of what we just talked about is that first, when you see verse 25 and 26, you see that that is in quotes. Whenever you see that in scripture, that oftentimes means what you think it means, that they're quoting something, okay? This particular case, they're quoting Psalm chapter 2. So God's word is providing literal content to their prayer. Then, this is why I think this passage is just amazing. Did you notice what they were asking for? They were asking for more boldness to proclaim the gospel, okay? But they just got out of jail for boldly proclaiming the gospel. Literally, they leave, and like, you need to know, like, Followers of Christ during this time, like jail was not a great experience. There weren't really prisoner rights. They did not care. In fact, they'd rather have just killed you, honestly. So they just get out of jail. And what's the very first thing that they pray? Give us more boldness to proclaim your gospel. I'm sitting here reading this like in my like, you know, master planned community. And I'm like, how, how much more boldness do you need? You just got out of prison. But that's what they're praying for. So the, so the Bible is literally putting, informing their prayer by putting content in. But listen, it's also transforming their prayers to reflect the mind of God. Because here's the thing. God wants what is best for our life. But you know what he wants even more than that? What will glorify him. That's what he wants even more. And so when you start to meditate on God's word day and night, your mind starts to reflect the mind of Christ, and you start to do crazy things like pray for more boldness to proclaim the gospel right after you got out of prison for boldly proclaiming the gospel. That's what David is talking about right here, all right? But now I want to look specifically at Psalm chapter 1, that verse 2, okay? I said we were going to spend a little bit of time in there, and that's where I want to transition to and look at that and focus on those phrases, right? Delighting in and, me and meditating on the word of God. Here's the thing. The Psalm uh, chapter 1 starts right off there in verse 1 with, blessed is the one. So right off the bat, that should get our attention, because who doesn't want a blessed life? We all do. We all want God's blessing on our life. And so right off the bat, we see, oh, okay, wait, 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 hold up. David's about to tell us how to have a blessed life. But here's when it gets really interesting, is that in Hebrew, that word blessed right there in that verse, it's actually happy. The better translation of it, or the best translation of it for us would be happy, 
okay? So what that verse is actually saying is happy is the one dot, 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 dot. So David is about to unlock the answer to the question that our society has been trying to answer for centuries, which is this, how can I be happy? Or maybe those of us that say we're Christians or read God's word, maybe the question for us would be, what does the Bible say about happiness? Now, before we go any further, I want to um, just address some of you in the room that right now you might think that that's a really superficial question. Like, you might be like, really? I came to church this morning to hear a message about how I can be happy. Like, isn't that kind of a meaningless pursuit? Like, does God really even care about that? Well, before you just check out for the rest of the morning or you write this message off, um, I want you to ask yourself this question. This question. Am I a fundamentally and consistently happy person? Am I a fundamentally and consistently happy person? And if not, why? Why? Because here, here, that is what this psalm is addressing. And right off the bat, it tells us this happy person that David is talking about, or that he's describing, this is a person that doesn't do a set of one things, but does do something else, all right? Doesn't do this one thing, but does do this other thing, all right? So the happy person that David is talking about, it does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way the sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. That's verse one right there. But what does the happy person do? This is verse two. This is why we're focusing on this this morning. The happy person is someone whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So instead of finding pleasure in this world, or the ways and the things that this world says will produce happiness, the person who is truly happy finds their happiness in meditating on God's word. That's what David is saying. Here's why that is important, okay? Because I think sometimes we hear that. You might have even heard that before or just heard maybe talk about the concept of meditation. You might have been like, I don't, that sounds, if you're like me, I'm a very pragmatic, very type A person. And so when I oftentimes hear things like that, I'm like, I don't. I'm, I don't even know what that means. I can't wrap my mind around that, right? I'm like, give me a list of things to do, and I'll knock it off, but I need to know what to do. I don't understand that. That's how I am. So here's why that's so important. The reason that that's important is the reason that we need to know what the Bible says about happiness, what the key to kind of finding this lasting, steadfast happiness is, is because somewhere along the line, we began to believe this lie that happiness was like a myth, like a unicorn, right? That it's something that a lot of people talk about. A lot of people are really obsessed with it. But yet it's something that you can't actually get or achieve or find. And you definitely can't do it at a sustaining rate. You can't experience happiness as a sustaining thing throughout your life. But here's the thing. If that were true... If happiness really was a myth, if that were true, or if the fact that happiness can be found, can be achieved, 
then why do we see so few people that are genuinely happy people? I think the reason that we see that, or maybe you've even experienced in our life, is because we as a society, as a people, we seek happiness completely the wrong way. The way in which we seek happiness, it cannot be steadfast and sustaining. Because we seek happiness through circumstances. And the problem with seeking happiness through circumstances is that circumstances are constantly changing. And they're fleeting. So when we root our happiness in our stuff, or in our status, or in our comfort, or in our circumstances, or in what the world tells us is going to make us happy, then what happens when we lose all of that stuff? What happens when our circumstances change, or we lose our stuff, or we lose our status, or someone hurts us or disappoints us that at one point made us happy in life? Well, then we lose our happiness. Here's the key. We cannot seek out happiness in our circumstances. We have to seek out happiness in our identity in Christ. We cannot seek out our happiness in our circumstances. We have to seek out happiness in our identity in Christ. And here's the thing. That is what the word of God does. It gives us our identity. It answers the question of who we are, why we're here, what is our purpose, what is life all about. That is why you cannot separate meditating on God's word and being a happy person. That is why delighting in the word of God, meditating on it day and night, produces long-lasting happiness. Because we are finding and seeking out our happiness in our identity in Christ. All right, listen. Then in verse 3, we get three illustrations of essentially of what that happiness looks like. What kind of person, kind of like, I guess, uh, characteristics do we see? Um, in a person that is seeking out happiness in this way that David's talking about. He gives us three illustrations. The first one is that a person who delights in the word of God and meditates on it day and night will be, and it says this, like a tree planted by streams of water in which its fruit, which yields its fruit in its season, all right? The second one is that a person who delights in the word of God and meditates on it day and night will be like a tree whose leaf does not wither, And then the third is that a person who delights in the word of God and meditates on it day and night will prosper in whatever they do. So I want to take just a few minutes to talk about each individual one of those and what that looks like in our life. So the first one is this, is that this type of happy person that David's talking about is a fruitful person. Is a fruitful person. All right, if you delight in the word of God, you meditate it on day and night, you will be a fruitful person. So what does that mean? Well, whether you know it or not, you have probably interacted with some fruitful people throughout your life, all right? These are people that are refreshing and they're encouraging to be around, right? These are people that when you go away from them, you feel full, you go away strengthened, you go away with a deeper hunger for the things of God. 
Their words are healing, and they're convicting, and they're encouraging, and they're enlightening, all at the same time, somehow. Being around them is literally like consuming a meal. You go away feeling that full and that encouraging, and you probably have oftentimes thought, oh my gosh, I really hope, I would love to be that kind of person to other people when I interact with them. Listen, this is the effect of delighting in the word of God and meditating on it day and night. You will yield fruit in the right season, in the right conversation, in that right moment that you need. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It just means that when we are rooted in God's word, guess what comes out of us in conversations and interactions? God's word. You will be a fruitful person. And, I, and can I tell you a secret about this? It's, it's this right here, is that when you are able to be used by God to build fruit into someone else's life, I'm going to tell you right now, there's not any material thing that can bring you that level of happiness. That's like next level happiness that can't be bought with stuff or status. Here's the second thing, is that they're a durable person. When your happiness is rooted in your identity in Christ, when you're this type of person that David's talking about, you're a durable person. It says right there that, you're, that this person's leaf, that your leaf does not wither. The point here is that when things get tough, when the winds are blowing and the rain is not falling, various circumstances are just trying to take this tree out and is taking out all the other trees all around it. Listen, this tree, this person that is rooted, their happiness is rooted in their identity. Their happiness is rooted by the stream, which is God's word. That's what this psalm is talking about. That's what the stream is. It's God's word. It's that this tree does not wither. It's not taken out. It's durable. It withstands circumstances and situations. Listen, this doesn't mean that this tree doesn't withstand some damage sometimes. It just means that it's not taken out. It doesn't wither. It means that your joy is not stolen by your circumstances. Because your joy was never found in your circumstances in the first place. The person who delights in the word of God and meditates it on day and night, it doesn't just mean that they're just rainbows and unicorns all the time. But it might look something like this. Listen to the, pro- the words of this prophet in Habakkuk. This is Habakkuk three seventeen through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, that's a bleak situation, guys. I mean, that's like, th- there's nothing. Listen to verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. That's a durable person. All right? Here's the third thing. It's a prosperous person. Prosperous person. The verse actually says in verse 3, whatever they do prospers. Now, here's the thing. Um, I'm going to let you guys know uh, that, uh, you know, 
I also don't always like just read God's word and is immediately like, absolutely. When I read that, studying for this message, I was like, really? Like, whatever they do prospers? Because I don't know anybody, I don't care how faithful they have been, that whatever they do prospers. Like, I'm like literally thinking of people that I know, mentors of mine, that I'm like, these are like, these people are like spiritual giants. And I'm like, I know for a fact not whatever they have done prospers. So what, how is that possible? What does that look like? Like, what does that mean? Does that mean that if you delight in the word of God and you meditate enough that your business is going to have huge profits every single time? Does that mean that you're always going to have good health, that you'll never have any financial troubles or accidents or broken relationships in your life? Because when I think of a prosperous person or I think of prosperous, that's what I think of. Well, here's the thing. There is reason to believe that a person rooted in God's word will experience some of those blessings because when you're rooted in God's word, again, your mind changes to reflect the mind of Christ. And so you tend to be for things that God is also for. And so, yes, he's going to bless that, all right? But that doesn't mean that that's all that it is. That doesn't mean that that's all that ever happens. Because the Bible is also very clear, and this is why we have to look at the Bible holistically, look at it as a whole. The Bible is also very clear about the fact that because we live in a sinful, broken world, that even the most faithful of people are not spared from the hurt and the pain of this world. Speaking of this Psalm series, Psalm 73 literally blatantly says that often the righteous suffer while the wicked prosper. Well, that's, a, that's encouraging. Like, put that up on a frame in your kitchen, right? But the answer provided in that psalm, Psalm 73, and the answer that is provided in this psalm, specifically when we look at verses 4 through 6, which we're going to read here in just a little bit, is that this, is that if you are a Christian, if you, if you identify yourself as a Christian, you have placed your trust in Christ, here's the deal. You're not living for this world anyway. You're just passing through. Look at what Psalm 1, 4 through 6 says. Read these verses with me. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So listen, when David is pondering the value of delighting in the word of God in Psalm 1, listen, he's measuring the value not by what's going to happen in this life, but what's going to happen in eternity. In other words, there may be times where the wicked prosper, but at the end, they will be swept away like shaft, but those who are delighted in the word of God will flourish. Because God sets his eye on them. It says God knows their way. So the blessing, the happiness, that bless, that happy, the one who is happy, like it said in verse 1, um, that is a life that is nourishing and fruitful for others. It's a life that is deeply durable, even in the face of drought. It's a life that doesn't labor in vain. It's rather living for eternity, not just the right now. 
That's the blessing of delighting in the word of the Lord and meditating on it day and night. So it would seem that this concept of meditation is really important. Okay, and I told you before, like, that's a concept that I'm like, hmm, I'm a little, you know, not sure how I feel about it. What does it mean? Um, but it says right there in the psalm that that really is what's going to lead to delight. That's what's going to lead to happiness. So what does this look like? How do we do it? Um, because, again, when I hear the word meditation, if I'm just being honest with you, the first thing I think about is, like, something that happens, like, in a hot yoga class, which I find ironic that you go to this room that's like 100 degrees to reach zen and peace, and there's like a middle-aged man in a Speedo doing yoga. Like, that's not peaceful to me. That's, that's disturbing to me. Um, so surely that's not the type of meditation uh, that David's doing, uh, David's referring to, right? The kind of meditation that David's referring to in this psalm um, is uh, the word meditation in Hebrew, here it basically means like to speak or to mutter, to speak or to mutter, okay? So when that is done in the heart, that's called musing or meditation. So meditating on the word of God day and night really means this. It means to speak to yourself the word of God and allow God to speak his word to you, okay? So you're, gonna, you're reading the word of God. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to use the word of God to speak to your heart to speak to your mind, to speak to your soul. And when you're meditating on it, you're speaking it to yourself, right? You're basically preaching that message to yourself in circumstances. That is what meditating means, okay? This is why developing the spiritual discipline of scripture memory is so important, it's not just something that, like, little kids do maybe in, like, Wednesday night church programs, and then eventually you grow out of needing to do that. No. Because here's the thing. I know at the times that have been most prevalent in my life that I've needed to speak God's word to myself, it's most often in situations where I can't crack open a Bible, and how great is it that we can carry the Bible around on our phone? But listen, if I'm caught up in a conversation that I can, you know, like, I don't know about you guys, but I can feel myself kind of going to maybe a not-so-godly place. I can feel it rising up in me. I can't really, like, bust out my phone and be like, hold on, let me search anger or, like, throat punch or whatever I'm feeling in that moment, <laughs> right? Like, I can't do that. And so it's so important that you develop the spiritual discipline of scripture memory. I want to show you what that kind of looked like for me um, at one season in my life. Um, when we first started Real Hope, um, one of the passages of scripture that uh, we came across that completely summed up the entire reason as why we would start a church anyway was 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. So I'm going to put it up on the screen for you guys so that we can kind of read it together um, and then show you how this worked for me, all right? So um, here's what it says. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the word to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
All right, so, and I think, yeah, we'll stop. We'll actually stop there. All right, or, no, let's keep going. We are therefore, sorry, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Basically, the Apostle Paul is saying this. He's saying, hey, listen, because you and I have become new creations because of what Christ did for us, we now have the role of ambassador for Christ by sharing that same message of reconciliation to anybody that's around us. Do you see why that would be a good verse to start a church, right? We now have this responsibility as an ambassador to share the message of reconciliation. So here's how this works for me. On days that it's really hard, on days that it is still currently very hard, on days that I think, you know what? I'm not sure, God, you got the right person for this. Um, I'm not sure I have what it takes to do this role or to answer this calling. God uses this passage to remind me that I am the exact person that he wanted to do this. Because he made me a new creation. He gave me the ministry of reconciliation. I don't have to write the message. I don't have to invent it. I just have to be an ambassador, which means I just have to represent it. And if I can be faithful to that, to those around me, then it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. That is why it is so important to write God's word on our hearts, so much so that the depth and the solidarity of your relationship with Christ and your communion with Christ is going to be very dependent on how much of his word you have written on your heart. It's so important that we do this. Here's kind of the last thing that I want to wrap up with this morning is, is this. Is that we talked about the concept of me- meditation, what that means. Um, now I want to talk about the word delight. Because what happens on the days when we don't feel very delightful about God's word? Like on the days where like, you know what, I, I'm really tired. I don't have time to do this. Or I just did it. I didn't feel like I got anything out of it. I felt like I was talking to myself. I don't remember anything that I read. I don't feel particularly delightful about God's word. Because the person that David is talking about, really the deepest mark of this happy person, is that he delights in God's word. Right? That reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible, meditating on the Bible is not a burden to this person. It's a pleasure. And that's ultimately what we want as well. But what do we do on the days when it doesn't feel like that? Um, You know, David, the guy writing this, did he ever have those days or did he ever struggle? Of course he did. We all do, right? The heroes of the Bible, the people that we kind of tend to put in our mind on these pedestals, guess what? They were human beings just like me and just like you. But here's what I think, here's an example I think that they set for us, and here's, here's a quick step of application that I think we can implement on these days that we're not feeling this. We need to do three things. We need to commit, we need to pray, and we need to cut. Commit, pray, and cut, okay? What does that look like? Well, 
first of all, we commit. We commit to spending time in God's word, developing that relationship. Listen, not because we feel like it necessarily every day, but because we are committed to knowing God just as he is committed to knowing us. Here's an analogy that I have. I am not just married on the days that I'm feeling like particularly romantic that day. Even on the days that I'm not feeling that way, I am still very much committed to my husband, Chad. Even if I'm not feeling all the feelings. Because guess what? There's going to be a day when I do feel all of the feelings. And I'm going to be very thankful at that day that on the days that I wasn't feeling all of the feelings, I was still committed to that steadfast love and developing that relationship with him. Your relationship with God is the same way. So commit to it. The second thing is that we pray. We pray for God to help us delight in his word and to increase our passion for his word. Just pray and ask him to do it. And continue to do that and be committed to that prayer. And then here's the third one. Finally, we cut. We cut out all of the white noise. All of the unnecessary things in our life that are crowding out our ability to invest time needed to develop a relationship with God and a love for his word. Because I think one of the biggest excuses that we hear or we have is that we just don't have the time. And I understand that. There is an element of truth to that. I am not denying that. But at the same time, like, we also made time to, like, binge watch the new series on Netflix. So we probably have some time somewhere. So we cut out the white noise. Listen, to be a happy and a blessed uh, person, we must delight in God's word and meditating it on day in and day night. Because then, and only then, that is the only thing That is the key thing that then when we do that, we will be able to seek out our happiness, not in our circumstances, but in our identity in Christ. God's word is the thing that roots us to that. So I'm going to close in prayer, and uh, I'm going to pray for us that God would do just that, that he would give us an increase and a desire for his word. So let's pray together.